How does major breaking news change a journalist's direction mid-story? And why would or wouldn't you close a news article with a quote? Today, I'm with USA Today national politics reporter Jessica Estepa here on The Writing Process. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the pilot episode of The Writing Process. It's a deep dive podcast conversation with masters of the writing craft in one, many, or all of its forms. If you love writing, if you want to get better at it, and if you want to hear from others who want the same, you're right where you should be. I am Chris Wink. I am a journalist. I'm a fiction writer. I'm a songwriting admirer. I'm an amateur logophile. And now I'm going to be your host. You'll get insight into all of the many writing forms. We're talking fiction, poetry, memoir, songwriting, many, many more. We're going to find similarities and differences and lots of real, real, real takeaways about process, methodology, and choice making. I'm going to feel successful if you leave a better writer after each and every episode. The writing process will publish weekly in seasons for all your necessary binge listening. So you better subscribe. You're going to get ready to hear in this inaugural season the best of 10 conversations I've had in the last few months with true writing masters. But before I even knew what this was going to be, I needed to have a very first conversation. Fortunately, I am blessed to know this woman. So um, my name is Jessica Estepa. I am a politics reporter and writer at USA Today in Washington, D.C. I've been in D.C. for eight years and have covered politics on and off the entire time. I first sort of met Jess when we were both undergraduates working at our college newspapers. I was an obsessive editor at the Temple News of Temple University in Philadelphia. Jess was active in student media at the University of Nevada, Reno. Today, all you got to know, though, is that Jess is about an ideal, a representation you can find of the optimistic future of national political reporting. She is thoughtful and curious and sweet and caring and balanced and serious, even when she's not. Whenever I talk to reporter friends about process, I always like asking them if they like the reporting or the writing part more. You need both, but almost always there's one that is more the favorite. Jess was the ideal pilot interview for this podcast because she is firmly in the writing camp. She loves reporting, but she told me she loves best taking all those notes and all those interviews and crafting a narrative. Back in January, she and I snuck into a tiny recording booth near the entrance of the USA Today newsroom to talk about why. As old friends, she and I got lost in a conversation for well over an hour. We talked about topics ranging from house style, detailed reporting technique, and fake news. I'm going to share some of that as extras on writingprocesspod.com because for this episode, I took the most focused 25 minutes of our conversation. In this, we talk through why she took a steno pad to a python hunt in Florida, and we walk through the kicker of a story she wrote about turkeys. But first, since she is, in fact, a White House politics reporter for a national newspaper in 2018, we'll start with what writing a story with a newsroom looks like during one of the biggest political stories in a generation. Okay, so 
when Jim Comey was fired last year. We didn't have that story first, but it broke and it meant that everyone had to kind of scramble because that's something you're not expecting, right? Like you're not expecting the FBI director to get fired. So that means that so our, were you literally? Give me like I like I was this. literally like in at my desk probably getting ready to go home because it broke at sometime on a I think it was a Tuesday evening and I had choir rehearsal. <laughs> like I had, I had things yep. to do. Yep. Um and then one of the bigger outlets either at the time I think it was either at the Times or the Post like sends out a news alert on their phones and it's just like Jim Comey fired Um, and that meant that on my team we had to just kind of scramble so like I'm on a team that covers the administration so our Justice Department reporter has to like go and figure out what's happening at the Justice Department and And quick interruption there so like to give like folks listening like your mindset so you know, you guys are one. Of, you guys are convening at a national level. This is a really big and important story. So you immediately start in this defensive place, where that's the thing where I imagine the first reaction is like, "Damn, we would have we would have wanted that." Okay, right. but now the the positive side of our industry's competitiveness is like, "All right, how do I add to this positively? How do I give something else that is important?" And exactly. so, like, yeah. So I think the other reporters who are here like everyone just kind of starts jumping onto their beat so like you have the justice department you have the white house you have congress Does like someone literally say hey are you seeing this is this a thing that happens yeah exactly like someone's just yeah. like they'll curse and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then like what are we going to do and yeah. then like people disperse because that is what they are used the to professionals they have relationships and when you're a beat reporter you have well nurtured long established tight relationships where you can I imagine text now or it's Twitter DM or it's an email and it's like, whoa, what's this? Yeah. And so I think I had actually just written a story about Comey that day. So Mm -hmm. my story ended up becoming the vehicle that the main bar like flowed into um, main bar. So like the main story of the night um, just because I had happened to write about it and so yeah. next thing I know I'm sitting at my computer I'm taking feeds from different reporters and what is that literally like what's the feed so you've written something that mm-hmm. perhaps maybe in the paper tomorrow or it's running online at, at some point it's it's been edited maybe yeah um, so it's edited it's ready to go been report it's reported out you've written it sitting in your desk in a CMS or what have you and now the character in the story that you are writing with the facts you've built up has just had their life transformed and now a lot of people are literally either emailing you or maybe in cms they are giving you snippets they have emailing mostly yeah. just emailing yeah so i talked to my source and yeah so like here's what i have or here's a quote or here's something and i'm taking that and i'm plugging it into the story and so the story form is literally just changing so i'm like okay it's not important that like he was trashed by the deputy attorney general now what's important is that that happened on the day that he was fired by the president Mm -hmm. and like and the story just kind of continues to meld as it's like okay well here's the congressional reaction so here's what mitch mcconnell the senate majority leader thinks and here's what paul ryan the house speaker thinks and here's in an inverted pyramid format yeah like your structure you know what a skeleton has to be that almost is that's that's something that we've developed because we have to act with so much speed which is perhaps different than a short story crafted over a decade um you have an inverted pyramid but that's now you know what's what's the top of the pyramid what's in the middle of the period what's out of this story and speed matters because one, to, the way you build relationship with readers is that you consistently share accurate information, but at a time that is 
you know, you want readers to say, well, USA Today will have something good. Justice Depp does good stuff. I want to see what she has on this. That's that's the that's the aspirational ideal of our of our work. So that's what's in, in your mind right now. You're like, okay, we got to get this out, but we ha- it has to be factual. It has to be accurate. It has to add something to the narrative. And other people now are throwing stuff at you. <laughs> Everyone's throwing everything out. Um, and then I think that once the main bar was set and like I had to hand it off, then I had to start doing explainers of like how we got here. So it's like, okay, so. Here's what Jim Comey said last week when he testified, and here is everything we know about this person that no one was talking about at this scale literally an hour ago. Um, And that's just kind of pulling from previous stories that you've done, and you start researching, and you start calling your sources, and you start figuring out, okay, what else is going to actually help people better understand why this matters. Can you write well... In speed, and I don't mean you. I mean humans. Um, I think so. I think that, and that goes back to the, like honing the craft. I'm not sure everyone can write well and fast, but you can learn how to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's why we are known for journals are known for falling into cliche often because you're doing similar-ish, similar stories or you're doing it in incredible crunch time. So there are, there are like, the journalese is this industry term to refer to phrases that no human says or right. speaks, but we've... Probe. Yes. Probe. Russian probe. What does that mean? Yeah. Why do we say probe? It's because it fits in a headline. Yep. An investigation is too long. So it's a polished <laughs> word that works for our format, speed, you know, obviously still... Printed newspapers drive so much because they're some of our largest, most respected news organizations. So they still drive so much, and lots happens online. But a lot of those, 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 the cultures come over. So okay, so you're 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 writing editing at the same time, right? So like, and I have like an editor that I'm working with, and so basically I'm like, okay, I've added like five paragraphs. Here's where the paragraphs are. Read it, publish it, give the file back to me, and that's just the. That's just developing the flow with whoever you're working with. I think different editors work differently, but this is just how my editor and I work together. From the time you got that news alert from a competitor to the first version, well, maybe it's only two questions, the first published thing from the USA Today and the final thing that perhaps ran in the paper or whatever is the best guide, what are those two time benches? I know those are different. Like yeah. you get something you get a stub up, maybe something a short you know, shorter form just technology up right. this is happening, but then you're building on it. What are the like what gives us the sense of time? So we wouldn't publish something right away if it was only based on one source. So you get a news alert and, and, and interesting people know that. You guys don't say, well another news organization did it because you have your own processes and standards, so you guys have to go to your own sourcing. Right. I mean we'll say that other people reported it right. first right. or we we always aim to verify everything ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, so our standard is you have to have if you're going to alert on something, you need to have at least two sources or two other organizations like verifying that. Um, so that's probably what we did. I the night is a blur now, right? Um, but like that would happen within like minutes. Yeah, and then so news alert, and in you know ten fifteen minutes on the high end. Yeah. You guys have confirmed with someone something, or gotten the, the number, the thresholds of sources that your that this organization, news organization, has set in its policies and standards, like all news organizations do. Right. Something's on the on the website it, within minutes. Something has to be written in some form, and you're going to follow a structure. Like there's a structure that has been done before. You're following it. They almost, you know, robots will do this sooner than later because this is very structured. But then 
you're going into the larger story that is a little bit more crafted and, and, and honed. Right. And so the story would be updated within minutes, and then that story would continue to evolve for the next however many hours um, until... And then a version of that will be shipped off to our print team, and the digital team will... Con- our team will just continue to update the digital version. So online, you're, you're just updating. just until you don't have anything to update with. It's yeah. kind of, I think the yeah. standard at this point. And just maybe a moment on that before I know I want to I want to push forward. But uh, I think that's also kind of telling that perhaps journalism d- has shaped more than any other writing form um, the relationship to publishing. So yes, you are a news organization like many others still that prints a thing, and so that creates finality to it. But unlike, I, I, I've interviewed a songwriter who's spoken about, well, I still shape my song somewhat um, when I'm singing live. So there are other forms that do keep kind of slightly iterating in a form beyond after a publish, air quote, publish date. But I wonder if you could just like speak a little bit about the relationship to you've published, someone's read something, and you're still interacting with sources, sometimes even reader feedback, depending on the kind of story it is. And updating it with disclosures or acknowledging to a reader that something's shift, shaped, but that's that's unusual to other writing forms. Maybe like talk a little bit about what, yeah. how that's you know in I your mean, life that's changed. What <laughs> publishing means? This is true. I mean, what when I was in college, you published a story on the internet. You didn't go back and like do anything. Right. Once it was up, it was up, and then that version of the story would go into the newspaper, and then right. you moved on with your life. Right. Um, I think that now because of technology and because of the way that people expect updates on, it's not just like journalists, it's the audiences, it's regular people who are expecting to have those updates and to have like constantly new information and placed in front of them. Like the 24 hour news cycle has like completely evolved because of things like social media, Mm -hmm. because of our access to information, which is fine. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just, it's different. Right. Um, so, like, when I publish a story, that's I'm going to publish that story if it's, like, a breaking news situation, like, multiple times after mm-hmm. that. And I probably won't stop updating that story until it's time to, like, tell another story. Most journalists have hundreds, thousands of articles in their career. Right. Um, is that one way it's different about like how do you get good at writing journalism is my basically the question I'm backing my way into and it's it's a volume game right yeah I mean it's practice yeah. right like I don't know what you that practice is it's published right <laughs> you're publishing, you know for, for 15 years you are constantly publishing so you can go back and read that terrible thing you wrote like five years ago and I do that sometimes um, just to see like how far you've come and how far you've grown but, yeah, it's, I mean, on a daily basis, I can write anywhere between. Like, I always write at least one thing, but I am much more likely to write three to five things, yep. right? That's in a day. Mm-hmm. And that's not like, and those things are maybe only a few hundred words, right. but, like, that adds up after a while, right? So, and, and you don't really think about it when you're doing it until I'm like, oh, I wrote, like, 30 stories this week. Yep. <laughs> Which isn't. Yeah, it, it is what it is. That's form. just life. But that's your writing volume, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, so in other writing forms, it might be I might be edit, edit, and re-edit, write, re-edit, and that's like my process. It, just, it is like get it out the door. It's ship product, which yeah. I think is so interesting about our relationship to writing. Is it get it out, and yeah. you can't you can't admire your pieces in this industry. 
what have you gotten better at and what do you still need to get what do you what do you most still want to get great at um that's a good question so i think that i have always been very good at details Mm. um like i like the fly on the wall kind of like i like to sit there and if you don't have to pay any attention to me you just do your thing so i went python hunting um, in 2013 snakes. with snakes, yes, yeah. um, in the Florida Everglades, because Florida is a weird place that <laughs> like allowed people to go hunting for pythons in the Everglades as a part of a contest. Mm. And so my editor sent me down there um, and like I just described the scenes like they put me in a canoe um, and I I am not outdoorsy at all. So it's just like, <laughs> yes, let's put Jessica Steffa in the front of a canoe and it's going to be fine and I'm like with these two men who I don't know I'm like this is okay and I'm like just writing every single little thing down because I'm like okay so like Are you steno pad? Yeah I, I'm still a pen and, a pen and, so and paper are different things. Yeah so I'm a pen and paper kind of person yeah. and like if you ever see a photo of me like out working you always see a um paper in my hand mm-hmm. which other people like kind of mock now because they're like oh why do you need that i'm like because it helps me process and it's because i'm writing down those details right. um, i'm derailing you because i have anything no, like, interesting about process again so like yeah reporters are different things some are, are phones some are just record and transcribe some pen and paper um let me just say a little bit about what, what are like um you know this form is different than a lot of others. What are you writing in? What are some, what are, what are you know, for your for your story in the canoe, what, what are the literal words you would write in a stenopad? Literal direct quotes? Literal Everything. sentences? Just little snippets? Just, yeah. yeah, say, give us some examples. Everything. So, like, I'll write down a quote. So, I remember this very clearly. The guy that they put me in the um, canoe with was, like, singing mm. about the snakes. <laughs> Because they were naming the snakes. So I'm just like, I just, I'm scribbling down, like, what he's saying. He's like, Cecilia, we're not going to kill you. Like, that's what he was singing in the back of that canoe. And, like, at the same time, it's 70 degrees, and, like, it's very sunny, and it's very bright. So I'm writing down, like, the feeling. I'm writing down, like, what I can smell, um, because, like, that helps set the place. I'm writing down about the fact that, like, we see no other life Despite the fact that I'm in the Everglades and everything, everyone's like, oh, it's because it's cold. I'm like, it's 70 degrees outside. What are you talking about, Florida? Um, are you um, able, is one of the things you've gotten better at um, that you're able to, do you use a higher percentage of what you write down in your pad today than you would have 10 years ago? Are you better at curating what you want to write down? Or are you writing down the same? That, that hasn't changed. I write. You what I'm, is yeah, it, yeah, yeah, I got what you mean. Um, I write down everything. I do not use a lot of it, and I mm-hmm. think that's just learning what is what people will find interesting, or what actually matters in a story. Or so you're not live writing and editing in your head while you're reporting. It is like volume, yeah, down in yeah. my canoe, yeah. and then later the newsroom or wherever I'm writing, then I'm notes and saying, okay, I'll pull this out and curate it. That's interesting. That, that is, I think people have different approaches to that. Yeah, in, in so I'm definitely a gather everything yep. you can absolutely get and you'll figure it out later, yep. um, which can be problematic if right. you're, like, in a hurry. <laughs> but you also, I suspect, because I've heard interview people who, who do the opposite. Like, I'm live writing a story and so I'm, I'm only putting things that fit in, but surely you might miss that thing that in the moment didn't seem right. important and then later yeah it did yeah. and you're describing this this story of python hunting about your strength being detailed so it sure seems like a connection about process you it it follows that someone who 
pride yourself as being strong in details. You're right in everything. You might go to that newsroom and say, gosh, I wrote the canoe was red. I don't even know why that mattered then, but now in my story, perhaps it, it, it like it has something for you. So that exactly. So, I was hoping, as an example, you we, we could pick. I asked you ahead of time if you could pick out something that yeah. you want, and I said like, I wanted we like different kinds of writing. Um, and you picked a delightful choice because it's not at all for someone who covers a presidential administration. Um, you do all kinds of heavy things, but with voice. And I think actually very aptly, you didn't just pick that for no, you know, pick a story like that for no reason. I think it speaks to, um, so what, what's the headline? Um, the headline is honest and Abe Turkey's part. Obama pardoned in 2015 are living their best lives in Virginia. Look at that. So, so you, USA Today, other news organizations, reporter can have influence on what headline writing is, but all, typically there's someone else who's doing the final headline choice. So you don't write that. You might submit something. Is that... Right. So, I mean, my editor and I will go back and forth. So I'll actually write a version of the headline. I am not the best headline writer. Right. Um, Different form, even. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's just something completely beyond me. But so my editor will, like, shoot it back, and that she and I will basically negotiate over what we think <laughs> is a good headline that people will click on that will also get good SEO and all those good things. Yeah. And that's, again, something that's the thing about journalism that, you know, other other forms, sometimes that, that, that headline or title is meant to be evocative of what it's about but not direct. Uh, journalism is a little bit different. Some print stories still have um, loose headlines, but really because of you're trying to get search um, strength on in web traffic, you're trying to... Also, just be a news organization. So sometimes with voice, you can get into trouble by being slightly inaccurate. Um, so there's a negotiation. When you use the word negotiation, you mean it that there's a balance between we want to be well read, so we want people to understand what it is. But sometimes cheeky headlines get people excited. If you can get cheeky and accurate and descriptive, you, you're in, you're hitting a home run. So that's kind of the negotiation you're talking about. Exactly. Um, so Jess, read and you, you, when you talk to the inverted pyramid, you know that is. Lead L E D E is is the way we typically refer to like you know that first sentence or first little section. We have a nut graph, which is you know the, maybe maybe the top half, but but you know middle section of a story that's going to be broadly why the story matters. And then that the the tail end of stories that often a lot of details, but that's why it's an inverted pyramid. But we sometimes call that a, a, a kicker is a word that some news organizations use. It. I don't know if that's the, the word the USA Today uses. Yeah. And what is a kicker? And, and I presume that's, that might be what you're about to read for us. <laughs> I mean, a kicker is just, I describe a kicker as like, yes, like this is where the story ends. This mm-hmm. is just a good way. Like, and a lot of people like to use it on, like to end on quotes. Mm-hmm. I like to challenge myself and try not to end on quotes oh, if I can help it. It's something that I picked up from like another journalist like years ago where it's just like it is harder to not end with a quote it's a it's a very easy thing to do as a journalist uh because everyone has a good quicker quote you can always if you're like interviewing people and you hear you're like i know that that's how i'm going to end my story but it makes you a better i don't know i want to say a better writer but just it's a little more challenging to find a way to end a story if it's not a quote yeah, 98% of the stories I've written in my life. And with a quote. And with a quote. Yeah. And I, I almost, because I, I, I love what you just said, because I think that's some of the most fun I have reporting is like, you know, I, I remember early on someone saying, you never leave a scene, you know, usually that's breaking news, but never leave a scene without a lead. 
Um, but typically that often is for me, it's a, it's a quicker quote. And, and they're different. That high quote that's at the top portion of your story is, you know, that's usually, it's drawing you in. Often it's even an extension of the lead and, and not quite more. But I love how you described kicker. It's, it is something that often in the story you hear it and you're like, yeah, that sums up. The best kicker quotes are essentially symbolic of an overall story, but also convey something new. Um, so anyway, um, okay, I, I like this. So th- that's so that's a process thing that you and some, and that's news to me about really forcing the idea of, of don't end it with a quote to try to drive it. And this is actually a great this is a great reason to hear you read the kicker of an Obama Turkey a, a, a Obama pardon Turkey update. In the Trump era, is that? Yes, that's exactly what okay, it was. Okay, perfect. So read us the kicker of the story. So right. you know, maybe how, how many words do you think this is ballpark? Um, the, the overall story, I should say. I think it was probably about seven. I wrote seven hundred words on a bunch of turkey. There you go. So seven hundred word story, <laughs> fun, silly, kind of voicey story, but yeah. you still think writing format. And the kicker is maybe you know, a couple hundred words of that. Yeah. Um, so so read it for us, and then we'll talk. I want to pull off a few things from it. Um, So how long will Honest Abe and George flock together before one of them flies to that coop in the sky? It's unclear since they're already much older than most heritage turkeys are ever meant to be. The 2013 pardon turkeys, caramel and popcorn, and the 2014 turkeys, mac and cheese, all died of natural causes during their time on the estate. For now, Abe and Honest get to hold on to their positions as the most senior pardon turkeys in the United States. The 2016 pair, Tater and Tot, are living their own best lives down at an enclosure in Virginia Tech. The 2017 pair of Wishbone and Drumstick will join them there now that Trump has pardoned them. Here's hoping everyone enjoys their gravy train. Mm, here, should we read that last sentence? Can you read your kicker line, that last sentence? Here's hoping everyone enjoys their gravy train. Mm. So you're writing a story about specific you know, Obama-era pardon turkeys. And now in this kicker, you're you're pulling in a lot more other examples. There's a few there's a few pairs of turkeys referenced, so you're giving a little more context. But it's a silly story, right? Like, and so you're allowed to have some voice because it's about turkeys. And and the the presidential pardon of turkeys is like a PR thing that reporters have an interesting relationship with because it's it is just a PR game. But everyone kinds of finds it a little bit um, amusing, I suppose. So maybe talk a, just talk me through first generally, and then I'm gonna get specific about. If you remember, this is from last fall. Is from fall 2017? Yeah, November. Yeah. So um, just share a little bit about, if you remember, how you wrote that. Um, yeah. What you had in mind. Um, I filed the draft to my editor, and she's like, I need more puns. Like, that was the right. exact conversation we had. Because it, it's a silly story, and I got to take a day to like drive out to go see a bunch of turkeys two hours away right. and talk about p- the puns literally because that is interesting um be- because newsrooms i, I feel like newsrooms never want a pun unless you go all in on puns exactly because then you're conveying you're in on the joke yeah so i mean i say what fly to the coop in the sky and get on the gravy train and just anything that could be construed about Birds and Thanksgiving, because this story published the day before Thanksgiving, I mm-hmm. think. The idea was just just get it out there, have fun with it. Um, so I went and I, I think I Googled bird puns. And then I found a way to weave in every single bird pun I could mm-hmm. throughout the story I'd already written. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. Uh, High-level question, and then, yeah, sorry, one, then I'll get it. But 
I think the relationship reporters have to soft feature stories is an example of a feature story, right? This isn't a breaking news story. This isn't right. a hard news story. Um, but feature noise stories can be can be you know range of, of tones too. But um, I think reporters have an interesting relationship with with softer features. There is this culture that, on the spectrum of what is most important, it's it's the most serious and and you know you, you report in a presidential administration, um, and so another reporter might say this is beneath me, but I want you to share a little bit about why this is a story you like. Um, and why this isn't like beneath someone who's as serious and as accomplished as you, but instead something that you liked. I take a lot of things a little less seriously than a lot of Washington journalists, I think. <laughs> um, that is just who I am. That is my personality. That is my nature. And so when I, I love the presidential pardoning for the turkeys every year. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> it's been one of my favorite things since I learned about it. And so every year I get really excited and I get excited in a way that I don't think like the rest of the White House team gets excited. They're like, well, Jessica really wants to do this. We're just going to let her run with this for a while. Um, and it's because I like the lighter stuff. I mean, like, I think that remembering that there are funny things to whatever is happening, it's important. It's just as important as all of the serious things that we write about mm -hmm. every single day. Um, so I think this came up because I was like, ooh, it's the presidential pardoning. And then I started contemplating, like, what happened to the turkeys? And then I started, like, went off Googling, and then I, like, pitched it at my editors. I'm like, what if we went and we met the turkeys, and we wrote about the turkeys from, like, last year and the year before and the year before that? Are they all still alive? I don't know. And my, my editors were all for it. They were like, yes. You go do this because it's bringing you so much joy in merely Googling it <laughs> that we would like you to go and actually pursue this. So can, I want to ask two questions in the specifics yeah. and, and to close this out. But I want to pull up to be able to read it. But but first, take on one of the puns. So like coop, coop, you know, um, uh, take off to the coop of the sky. And tell me what runs through your mind balancing falling into – silly or cliche or um, like what's the line between hokey and fun and yeah. do you remember thinking about that balance yeah. I mean I don't my biggest fear is becoming cliche um, when I'm writing something but I think that the entire tone of the story I mean I kick it off by talking about the fact that all Obama did was tell bird pun jokes when he was pardoning these turkeys like that sets the tone and I like earlier in the story I throw in a line about the fact that the turkeys didn't personally answer any questions that I asked of them <laughs> you know what kind of story you're getting and why is that okay and not not stupid like do you remember having to like and I guess I'm asking a difficult question but yeah. I wonder like the, the, the thought process where you know this far into your career what is not silly but maybe when you were 15, maybe if you wrote the story at 15, you would have gone one, you know, too far one way. Uh, yeah. Did you have any editor conversation about when she said too much, you know, more pun, was there any conversation about what was too much? No. Yeah, <laughs> fair, fair. It was just a, more puns, Jessica. And right. I'm like, that's fair. Okay. Right. Um, I think it's just, and I, I think it's just an internal sense of I know when too far is too far. Mm -hmm. Um, just like when I'm writing anything else, I know that 
okay, I can't say that because that's not, like, something that's proven or that's not a fact or whatever. Like, that same sense exists when I'm being silly or when I'm being ridiculous sometimes. And and I think that's also why it's good to have editors because editors can, like, rein you in when you're mm-hmm. being a little too... If you somehow cross whatever that imaginary line is that we draw as journalists, it's just like, nope, you can't say that. One moment on that, editors, the relationship, you know, we talk, we've talked a lot in our industry and we talk about it in our newsroom. We sometimes do put editor bylines because they are, there's an entire, they're, 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 there's a whole culture of, like every writing form, but, but distinctly with journalism, editors deeply shape what people read, but are very rarely recognized. So maybe just like a moment there about your editing experience with your editor on, on this, you know, her name doesn't appear Mm-mm. on or in this story, but I presume you'd say, you know, others more, you know, some articles more than others, but you know, if, if she was involved in this one, you know, had a real influence on it to just like say a bit more about that. Um, yeah. I mean, so I'm looking that I work with an editor that we have a very good process where I will send her something, and then she'll usually send back her thoughts within the story if she thinks something can be tweaked. Like, for the most part, a lot of my stuff, like, goes forth mm-hmm. without a lot of editing. Mm-hmm. Um, clean clean copy is the phrase that we talk about. Yes. In that's a, that's a, you, we lo- talk about a reporter sending, and I've heard editors talking about, oh, that reporter sends in clean copy, which means they might need like, little pieces but don't need a lot of editing. That's a compliment. Right, exactly. And so... For this particular story, it was just, she was just excited. She was just as excited about it as I was. And so she just, she wanted to be, to convey the excitement that we both had (laughs) for this story. And for us, that was puns. Mm. And yeah, and it's nice to like, at least have that feedback. Because you just, sometimes you don't know what, what can you say? Or like, what would be acceptable? Or, because you need to bounce that idea off of someone. I think everyone any good writer has a good editor, right? Mm. Like, everyone can be improved upon. Everyone can work with someone on something. At the risk of breaking Jessica's own rule of never ending a story on somebody else's strong quote, that's it. That's the pilot episode of The Writing Process, a conversation with present and future masters of the craft in all of its many forms, Look for The Writing Process on iTunes and all the many places podcasts appear. And please, please, please subscribe. You'll be able to find all our episodes as I post them at writingprocesspod.com. Thank you to my guest, Jessica Estepa, whom you can find on Twitter at JM Estepa. And the fine people at The USA Today for hosting us for our interview. I am your host, Christopher Wink. Please find me at Christopher Wink on Twitter and other social. Tell me what you like and hate about this podcast. I want to make it great. I want you to be listening alongside of it. Please help me. So find me there or somewhere else, maybe clattering away behind a secondhand typewriter. Our theme music is from James Spadola, who still thinks restrictive clauses have commas. Until next time, remember, choose your words carefully.